Welcome to Chiropractic Science, where you get to hear interviews with leading chiropractic researchers from around the world. Hear about chiropractic research from the authors in plain English, not through the media, nor a middleman. My name is Dr. Dean Smith, and I am the host of Chiropractic Science. I am a senior clinical faculty member in the Department of Kinesiology and Health at Miami University, and I'm also a chiropractor in Eaton, Ohio. My research interests relate to understanding how chiropractic affects motor control and human performance. Before we get to the interview with Dr. Eben Axon, I wanted to thank all of you who have subscribed to Chiropractic Science, and I'm especially appreciative to all of you who have contributed five-star reviews on iTunes. iTunes reviews really help others find out about chiropractic science. So if you like the show, please take a second and write a review. It will support chiropractors everywhere. I'd like to share a review on iTunes from a person with the nickname BCDC, who says, Great interviewing by Dr. Smith and excellent guests. They are unsung leaders in chiropractic. Well, thanks, BCDC, for your review. I look forward to sharing your flattering iTunes review in a future podcast. Please consider making a contribution to chiropractic science to keep these podcasts going. You can do so on our website by making a donation or purchasing the evidence-based patient education slide presentation. We're also on social media, including Facebook and Instagram, so please connect with us there. All right, on to the podcast. Well, let's get on to the interview with Dr. Eben Axon. Eben Axon, DCPhD, is a chiropractor in private practice in Stockholm, Sweden, who started to engage in practice-based research in the 1990s. In 2011, she earned her PhD at Karolinska Institute in Stockholm. She previously held a postdoc position shared between KI and the University of Southern Denmark. Currently, she is an associate professor in musculoskeletal health at the Karolinska Institute. Her research centers on chiropractic care for low back pain. She has published work regarding predictors of treatment outcome, the clinical course and episodes of low back pain, and of subgrouping patients. Further, she is involved in the Nordic Maintenance Care Program, including the use of, indications for, and outcomes of prevention. Eben Axon's work is mainly based on data from multi-center longitudinal studies. She is a firm believer in engaging chiropractic clinicians in data collection as part of the implementation process. In several studies, she has used a novel way of frequently measuring outcome using mobile phones and text messages, which allow for detailed studies of conditions that vary over time, for instance, low back pain. Dr. Axon, it's an honor to have you on the Chiropractic Science Podcast. Thank you very much. Pleasure is all mine. That's great. So, Dr. Axon, can you tell us how you became interested in becoming a chiropractor? Yes. Um, when I was in school, I basically wanted to work with um, health and, um, you know, uh, help people, I guess. And my first choice was to become a normal medical doctor, but I didn't think I'd make the cut, you know, with my grades. So, <laughs> um, I started looking into alternatives. And um, by the time I did get into med school, I was so interested in chiropractic. It appealed so much to me. Um, so, I declined um, the admission to med school and uh, applied to become a chiropractor instead. Um, yeah, I think what appealed to me was the sort of natural care that chiropractic stands for. And I also think that the fact that we can uh, work with the patient through the whole care cycle 
appealed to me. Instead of, um, you know, a, a normal doctor that would send the patient out for imaging or testing or other kinds of treatments, we are sort of there diagnosed to treat and to follow up the patient. And I think that appealed to me. Um, yeah. <laughs> Great. So have you been in practice ever since graduation from chiropractic college? Yeah, I have. I um, have been involved in research for some 20 odd years now, but I never stopped working as a chiropractor. I still practice two days every week and see patients. That's great. So do you find that practicing as a chiropractor then informs your research? Uh, to a very large degree, it does. Um, and I also find that my um, models of explanation and my patient um, conversations have changed over time with my research. That's terrific. Yeah, I've also found the same. And hopefully I can ask you a few questions related to that as we progress throughout the conversation today. So what was it that got you interested in pursuing a PhD? Well, um, back in the 90s, I got involved in a um, practice-based research group. Uh, it was started in Sweden by uh, Charlotte Leboeuf Ida, who's been my mentor ever since. And she basically got a group of clinicians together and said, what, what questions is it that you clinicians would like to have answers to? Um, so we did this basically on Saturdays and Sundays and on evenings. Um, and we managed to pull off three or four quite large observational studies in Sweden. And I thought that was so much fun. So by the time, you know, we had all of those studies done, I thought, you know, why not get a formal um, degree in research? So that's the story. Well, that's great. So you've published in some excellent journals, including Spine Journal, Best Practice and Research, Clinical Rheumatology, Clinical Journal of Pain, just to name a few of them. Uh, today, we're going to cover a few of the papers, mostly focusing on your work dealing with the trajectory of back pain, the characteristic of chiropractic patients with back pain and practice-based research, uh, to follow up some of your uh, initial um, discussion at the beginning here. So let's go ahead and get started. And the first topic area that might take us a little while to get through is uh, the trajectory of low back pain. So I'm not sure that all chiropractors necessarily know what the trajectory of low back pain is. I guess they could probably figure it out. But what what is meant exactly by the trajectory of low back pain? Yeah, this is, this is kind of a funny word, isn't it? Trajectory. Uh, I think actually what is meant by it is the, the, the flight path of uh, an object like a bullet or a satellite or something. Um, but we've decided to use that term um, basically because when we have the ability now to measure something and we measure pain basically, over time, many times of repeated measurements, um, what we get is a curve um, very much like a trajectory. Um, so what it is really is the uh, course, it, you can just translate it with the course. So, so pain trajectory is pain course. Okay. So how did you become interested in studying these low back pain trajectories or courses? Well, one of the issues that we've been dealing with within our research group is what ha really happens to patients seeking chiropractic care. Because, you know, as a clinician, clinician it's sort of hard to um, anticipate everybody's 
progress. Because, you know, if you're honest about it, the, the only people that you really know is the people that choose to come back to see you. And when I was um, a young chiropractor, I simply thought, you know, that patients who didn't come back, well, they didn't come back because they got well. Um, and, you know, patients are nice people. They will call you and say, well, I can't make my appointment next week instead of saying, you know, it really didn't work out, whatever you did. So <laughs> uh, up until uh, a few years ago, we didn't really have the technology to follow patients over time without getting in touch with them, calling them or mailing them. But then this um, technology with text messages appeared and suddenly there was this system where, you know, it's completely automatic uh, and it sends text messages to people frequently over time and it allows you to follow them. So now we can actually say a lot more about, well, what happens to the chiropractic patients after seeking care. Yeah, that's terrific. Uh, so I can see how chiropractors would be keenly interested. So they get to track the progress. They maybe uh, find out uh, that something is not working in particular and maybe be able to try to change the course of treatment for the better. So that's all uh, terrific. There are a couple of papers that I would like to discuss uh being on the trajectory of low back pain. One of them was from BMC Musculoskeletal Disorders in 2016, and the other came from Best Practice Research Clinical Rheumatology in 2013. Could you tell us about those studies? They seem to be really important in this area of trajectory of low back pain. Yep. So, um, in in the, uh, the first uh, study from um, BMC Musculoskeletal, um, we have sort of tried to um, look at the trajectory work that has been done. And uh, we really believe that this work uh, has um, been the basis for a paradigm shift. Um, so, you know, when we started as chiropractors, we thought that, uh, you know, low back pain was just a minor nuisance, something that would go away by itself. Um, but at least partly the trajectory research has shown us that that is not the case. So it has completely shifted the way we now view low back pain and also, it seems, a lot of other spinal pain. Um, so um, what we also conclude in that study is that there is still a lot of work to be done because we can identify um, more or less the same trajectories in different populations, uh, but we still don't know if those um, trajectories represent certain characteristics in the population that we're studying, or whether they uh, represent uh, people that will respond particularly well to any kind of treatment, etc. So uh, there is still a lot of work to be done. Got it. So, what kind of trajectories exist? Well, you could say that there are mainly um, uh, sort of stable trajectories, and they can be in any part of the spectrum. So, you know, some people will experience more or less constant pain, either severe, uh, medial pain, or low pain. Um, but the most common thing uh, is a more fluctuating type of pain. And there are several sort of subgroups of that as well, where some people will have pain more or less on and off all the time. 
And some people would have an episode and then a longer period without pain and then a new episode. And those sort of trajectories we find in, in many different studies. Got it. So, uh, amongst people with, I guess, a, a term that we've used uh, in the past, uh, acute and chronic low back pain, sounds like it gives new meaning to those terms if the pain can be fluctuating, changing its trajectory perhaps over time, um, lessening, increasing. It seems like yeah. that might be part of the paradigm shift is that's a pretty a simplistic way to look at it, this acute versus chronic. Yeah. And I also think, you know, that it, it, it changes the way you communicate with your patients. Um, at least it has changed mine. Um, because, you know, when I was um, a newly graduate, I really thought, you know, that I would cure my patients. And now I can tell my low back pain patients at least that, you know, this is likely to come back. I can help you. Chiropractic is really effective in, in, in treating low back pain, but it's not a cure. And um, actually, when, when we talk to patients, um, my experience is that this explanation resonates with them. Uh, a lot of time people have had back pain on and off, you know, and when I tell them this is likely to continue, they will go, ah, I figured that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think it's it's uh, being honest with the patients and it's also being realistic about what your treatment is actually doing. Sure. Um, another yeah, another thing that I I would uh, would say in this uh, debate is that the term chronic is something that I'm really trying to weed out of of all my publication and all my um, communication uh, because it it sort of gives this impression that. The, the condition that I have is something that is, um, you know, um, not, there's nothing to be done about it. Um, whereas uh, I prefer the term persistent um, because it is something that will go on, but it doesn't mean that it's hopeless or it, it can't be managed in a way, if you like. Right, for sure. And it also gives new insight to what, at least I learned in school back in the 1990s, uh, going through chiropractic college, which uh, it seemed like most of the publications on, the, I guess, the trajectory of back pain back then, although they didn't call it that, um, suggested that all back pain or neck pain or any musculoskeletal pain would last maybe four to six weeks, and then it would just go away magically, seemingly on its own. And, and, of course, if you look at the acute episode, which is really what is the acute thing, that's the episode of it, um, most episodes do, in time, um, become better, improve, um, uh, etc. And we know that chiropractic can help with that. Um, but, like I said, in the long run, it is very, very likely that that patient will experience another or several other episodes throughout time. Right. And you were talking about how you can communicate this with patients. I think that's critical to explain it in the way that you did, because I've heard some chiropractors suggest to patients, oh, you know, we'll 
we'll help you fix it because, you know, patients, at least that come to see me, they sometimes they say, can you fix it, doc? Or, you know, something like that. And um, so I'll say, you know, I'll try to give them the explanation that this, this is, it's likely to come back at some point. Uh, I can't necessarily predict when it'll come back, but when it does, I can help you then as well. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That that's that's what I say, and and we have some strategies now that we can help people with. You know what to do and what not to do, how to try to prevent it. Uh, we'll get to that later, I think. But um, yeah, y- there's still so much you can do, uh, and I I really don't think it's taking away patients' hopes. I think it's being realistic, and you know the next time the patient has back pain, they will think, oh yeah. My chiropractor said that it would come back. She was right. You know, she knew what she was talking about. Right. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. And I think that that will improve, you know, our reputation that we are really informed about the nature of the beast, if you like. We know what it's like. Right. I think that's a whole lot better than the chiropractor saying, I'm going to fix your back. And then two weeks later, it's back again. Mm. Okay. Well, let's talk next about another paper. And this one just came out uh, this week, actually. Uh, and that is about typical chiropractic patients. Can they be described in terms of recovery patterns? And this came from Chiropractic Emanuel Therapies uh, 2017, right here in August. Can you talk about that paper a bit? Yeah. So this is um, one of the um, longitudinal studies that we performed in Sweden where we followed patients for six months with weekly text messages Um, and we've asked them about the number of days with pain during the previous week. So um, what it means is that we get you know an individual trajectory or cause for each patient. Uh, What we've tried to do in this paper is we've looked at at these curves, we looked at the the trajectories and uh, we've defined uh, recovery as reporting zero days with pain. So they need to get down to no pain at all. And then we've looked at how many patients reach that critical level and stays there for four weeks. That's the, the sort of the standard definition of being out of pain. If you can reach zero pain and stay there for four weeks, then you're sort of recovered. Um, And what we found was that um, about 60% of our patients, these normal chiropractic patients consulting for low back pain, uh, actually have some recovery during a six-month period. So 60%, um, we can say, well, they they improve at least with with chiropractic care. Um, But only 20% of them improve and stay improved. So they go down to zero and they stay. Uh, the other 40% that improve, um, they have a more on and off pattern. So some of them improve for some time and then have this episode that I was talking about before and then maybe improve again. And the last 20% will have a sort of on and off, maybe down to one or two days of pain and then go down to zero for a while and then go up again. So they will have a much more fluctuating course, but still there is improvement in there or, or even recovery if you and then the last 40% or so of patients don't actually reach that level of recovery. So a lot of them improve if you look at, you know, in terms of getting less days with pain, but they don't actually ever reach zero pain for four weeks. Got it. 
So with this, uh, so I have several questions based upon that. Do we know of literature in other fields, other, uh, for example, physical therapy or medicine, uh, either with surgery or with conservative uh, medical care that uh, we would know what the trajectories of their course is like compared to chiropractic? Um, oh, I couldn't really say in that much detail. The The only thing, like I said, the, the, the previous paper that we talked about is that we've actually looked at um, uh, different populations, studies of different populations, and they seem to be pretty much the same. So I, I think it boils down to, if you look at, the treatment effects of different types of treatment, um, be it manual or otherwise, they seem to have about the same treatment effects. So given your results then of this kind of mixed course of pattern or, or different kinds of trajectories that patients might have, how might you suggest chiropractors uh, emphasize the, the course rather than the outcome, which I think most patients are coming in for, or at least they have in their mind of some kind of cure or, or, or fix? How, how, do we, how do we communicate that as best we can with the patient? I think, I think it is important, again, to emphasize that low back pain and indeed other spinal pain are long-term or persistent conditions. And uh, that the, the pain that they're experiencing right now, we can handle. We can help them with. We can help them get over that. And then I would suggest that in the long term, that we also help our patients with other strategies. Um, the, the, the evidence is there for, for exercises, you know. Um, and um, I also know you just talked to my colleague Andreas Eklund on this um, pod and uh, you discussed our maintenance care result that we can actually now <laughs> suggest to our patients that coming in for a treatment every now and then is actually has an effect on, on preventing persistent and recurrent low back pain. So I, I, I think it's important to sort of to get the patient to focus on this as something that they will have to deal with and have to manage for some time. Um, and um, the, the, the problem, of course, is that we do not know what causes low back pain, and therefore it's really, really difficult to cure it. Chiropractic can help, uh, and so can a number of other things, of course. But uh, I, like I said, I think this explanation sort of resonates with a lot of patients. I, I don't find that they get very disappointed. I feel they go, ah, yeah, I figured. <laughs> right, right, for sure. So other than chiropractic and, and you mentioned exercise, um, I'm just curious, in your own practice, what other kind of uh, treatments would you recommend? Do you recommend uh, nutritional changes to the diet or um, do you use laser therapy or, or any other treatments? I, I don't actually, uh, not a lot. I, I see myself as a um, well, the, the, there is a certain public health responsibility, you know, um, that we would uh, educate our patients in healthy eating and healthy living in general. Uh, we talk about stress, we talk about smoking and alcohol and, and all of that. Um, but really, when, when I have a new patient, I will say, you know, chiropractic can help, like we just discussed. But if you prefer, I can send you to a colleague of mine who is also doing acupuncture. You know, and uh, 
so, so I try to keep a network of things that I know are evidence-based and will probably help the patient. But um, other than that, I am sort of thinking more in terms of what is generally uh, known um, to be effective. Got it. I wanted to ask you about text messages and ways to uh, to keep up with our patients. Um, in the research, that's what you've done. Use text messages, for example, to communicate how they're doing over a period of time. Do you think that's something that's reasonable in chiropractic practice? Should should chiropractors be trying to communicate with patients uh, in that regard? you know, between visits or after the care has ceased for some reason? Yeah. Well, you know, if you, if you really wanted to know, you know, what your patients, how they're doing, you should, of course, you should keep track of them. And um, I don't know if you, you know uh, a researcher and fellow chiropractor in, in England called Jonathan Fields. He has um, developed a program. Um, it's called Care Response. It's completely free. Uh, and it's an automatic system like the SMS track that I've been using Uh, and it goes through email not through phones or it can where the the patient consents to having email sent to them uh, during the first chiropractic visit and then emails are sent at a certain frequency I think it's like two weeks after the first visit and then four weeks and three months and six months and twelve months uh, and the, the questions in the email are validated questionnaires. Uh, so it's like the Roland Morris or the Oswestry and uh, pain rating or, you know, you can even add to that if you like. Um, and what happens is that you can, a, a researcher can tap into this uh, and use the data for a project and the chiropractor can get um, feedback so um, I think it's a great system. It, it can't be used in Sweden yet because it's a, it's a cloud-based system and, and they won't allow patient data to be transferred that way yet or it's not secure enough yet for Sweden. But in England, it is it is ongoing. Yeah, terrific. I, I do use CareResponse. We've just started using it here in the office for, <laughs> uh, for the past month. Uh, so I, wow. I don't... I don't have six months of trajectory to look at, but, uh, it, 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 you will. Yeah. Yeah. Soon enough. You're right. And it is fantastic. It's an amazing system. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's, that's really terrific stuff. Well, another topic area that you've done quite a bit of work in is the conducting of practice-based research amongst chiropractors. Uh, you actually wrote a, a paper about that, and that was came that came out in Chiropractic Manual Therapies 2013. Um, with with the knowledge and experience that you've had, I'm I'm curious to learn about not only that paper, but also practically how how we can incorporate practice-based research projects amongst chiropractors, how chiropractors can get involved in the process, and, and generally speaking, what these kinds of studies add to our literature. So I know that was a, a long list of things that I'd like to learn about, but uh, <laughs> can, you, can you get us start a, started on uh, some of those ideas? Yeah, sure. This is sort of my, my baby. Um, like I said, initially, I got involved in research um, as part of um, 
a practice-based research network group. So I'll talk you through how we do it in Sweden, because we've been doing this, like I said, in nearly 20 years or 20 years or so. And um, so what we do is we have a group of clinicians, maybe five, six, up to eight people who are keen to investigate some clinical questions. Uh, in the group, there should also be a professional researcher, uh, and it's mainly to because they will know the evidence, uh, what is lacking and what is not, and also to ensure research quality in, in, the, in the end. So, but basically what we do is we sit down and we discuss. And you know what it's like when chiropractors meet? They all tell patient stories, don't they? Um, oh, I had a patient and that and this and this happened and you know what? And then, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And then the next uh, person will go in and say, wow, that happened to me as well, you know, and then you will go on and on. And I wonder whether that's a common thing. <laughs> and um, so maybe that is something that we would like to look into. Um, the, the first example, the first study that I was involved in was the one with, um, uh, what do you say, positive side effects. You know, so the patients that come back and report, uh, well, my breathing is so much easier after I've been to see you. You know, and, and when all of the, the other people said, well, that happens to me all the time. We thought, well, let's investigate this because we didn't, there wasn't any evidence um, at that stage about positive side effects. So we decide on a question, and of course, the fact that we sit down and we discuss this, it makes the research question relevant to the clinicians. So that's the first issue. And then each person in that group then contacts eight or ten of his or her peers. Uh, and that we, so far, we've said it should be a personal or telephone contact. So you actually talk to your colleagues and you say, listen, we have this thing, you know, and I'm sure you've experienced it as well. And you know what? There's nothing in the literature about it. Would you like to be part of a study to investigate this further? So, you know, by, by um, taking this sort of personal contact, you get people interested. So, as you can imagine, in this way, we can have easily 30 or 50 clinicians being involved in a study. Uh, then we look at what we sort of information and data we need to collect, and then we send it out. And again, these clinicians are calling their peers. Did you get the information? Did you start to collect the data? Are there any questions, any problems? How do you do this? Um, and like I said, in this way, we've gotten information about thousand a thousand patients in you know, I think 1200 in the study um, and um, we get the data back and we sit down with a professional statistician and we look through the data and what the analysis show and then we discuss it in the so look um, I think it was like 20% of patients actually reported that they breathe more easily after chiropractic treatment Wow you know and then um, at the next general assembly, we present these results as well as write a paper, of course. Um, and, you know, having 30 or even more clinicians already engaged in the data collection, they are so keen to know the results. And so the end point of the practice-based research network 
because now they have you know, invested their time and energy uh, into the project and they are so keen to know the results that uh, I believe that it will be uh, much easier for them to, to actually use the result in their daily practice. So out of the, all of the practice-based research that you've done, what type of research questions do you think can be best accomplished by these sorts of designs? You can basically, um, you know, do anything clinical. What is what is really really easy to do is, of course, cross-sectional uh, studies. So with that, you can answer, you know, like I, the study I just explained to you. What is the prevalence of people saying this, that, or the other? Um, what what does our patient population look like? That sort of thing. That is really easy. All the clinicians have to do is to fill out a form for each patient. So that is the easiest. When it comes to um, outcomes or predictors, you need a longitudinal study, which makes it slightly harder because then the patient will, or the clinician, sorry, will have to collect data on more than one time point. Um, we have, from the research department, we've taken over a lot of, of the data collection that goes on repeatedly, like with the uh, textbook. Um, but one or two or even three times the collection normally gather some data. And the, the last study that we've just done the, uh, with the randomized control trial, that it can be done, but it's really hard. <laughs> it's difficult yeah. to do. Well, what do you feel are some of the important issues that chiropractors need to address in the upcoming years of research? Oh, that, that is such a big question. Um, it, of course, in my area, um, to tag on to the trajectory research, uh, it would be so nice to see if these trajectories are actually representing people uh, with, uh, you know, that responds differently to treatment. Um, so they, or, you know, it, it could just be like a natural uh, cause for them. Um, so we need a lot more work done in that area. Um, then, of course, a very, very exciting area is the um, mechanism of our treatment. What is it that happens when we adjust the patient? Um, I think that is that is so exciting, and we still do not know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. For sure. Well, a goal of the podcast series is to motivate and assist practitioners and students alike to pursue research careers in chiropractic science. Can you offer any advice to aspiring chiropractors who wish to become scientists in the future? Yes. Um, you need to get in touch with uh, a researcher or a research department. And of course, it's quite easy if you have a chiropractic institution close to you uh, to talk to them and see what they're doing in, in terms of research. But a lot of us don't. I didn't uh, here in Sweden. So what you can do then is actually to look at the uh, university home webpage. You need, you need to be at a, at a university setting, of course. See what kind of research they're doing. And, you know, don't be afraid that medical research or physiotherapy research or even basic research is not related to what we do. Uh, sometimes it is. Uh, so have a look and see what sort of research they're doing. And if you find something, which you hopefully do, 
that sort of excites you and think, wow, this could be really relevant for my patients, um, invite that researcher for lunch. You know, they're busy people, but everybody needs to eat. So um, sit down with them and discuss their research with them. And to see, you know, if there is anything that they're doing that you could maybe tap into. Um, you could offer your help, um, or you could get ideas and get back to them. You know, you need to form that relationship with them. Uh, I think uh, that is my, you know, best advice. Um, of course, if there happens to be a practice-based research network in your country or in your area, uh, that is an excellent way to start. So, Dr. Axon, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today, uh, taking time out to share the great information that you, you have, and I look forward to more research on the trajectory of back pain uh, specifically related to, to chiropractic and, and how we as chiropractors can serve our patients better with the, this kind of research. So, thanks so much for spending the time and coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening to this great interview with Eben Axon, DC PhD, where we talked about low back pain trajectories. Stay tuned for more great interviews on chiropractic science.